You are listening to the podcast of Richland Hills Baptist Church. We are located in Richland Hills, Texas. Our desire here is to believe, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're listening to our podcast today, if you have any questions, you can find us on the web at richlandhillsbc.com. God bless you. Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to continue looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning as we are in this time of Christmas, as we think about and reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ. And as we were singing this morning, Is He Worthy? It's one of the songs that I most love and I always appreciate it when we have the choir that can can really bring forth this idea that He is worthy. He is worthy. And as we consider Hebrews, it's a focus on Jesus Christ. Then Christmas is a focus on Jesus Christ. So they're coming together in this idea as we, as we think about the birth of our Lord and Savior. And as you consider that, I've always wondered, or at least thought about, what it would be like on that day, thousands of years ago, to hold that baby. You see, one of the great blessings of life and treasures of life are babies. I was talking to Joseph not long ago, and he said, it's hard to be upset when you're holding a baby, right? There's something very calming about holding a baby. Now, maybe if the baby's crying, that'd be different, but a sleeping baby, a a calm child, it's it's calming to you, isn't it? It's soothing. Imagine, though, looking at that child, but this baby, this baby Jesus, fully human, all it was a baby, you knew it was a baby, but yet we know from Scripture that this was no ordinary child. This was Emmanuel, God with us. And we think about who Jesus is in all of His glory and splendor. Again, His humanity, fully man, fully God. It's a great mystery. And Hebrews this morning is going to help us to see and understand that there is this glorious mixture, this glorious idea again that there is this, he again, fully God, fully man. We can't understand this, but it's true. That there is divinity flowing through the veins of this child. No one like Jesus. And so let us read again in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. Father, may you bless this time together. As we hear and understand your word, may we grow in our faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Last week we began to look at this passage of scripture together. And our big idea that we considered last week was God has spoken, are we listening? He has spoken to us through his Son. And this morning, I want us to consider this idea of who Jesus is. And are we following Him? Are we following Jesus Christ? If we say we believe in Him, that He is God in the flesh, that He is Lord, are we following Him? So what it means is we have to have a greater understanding of who Christ is. And so I want us to consider some of the big things. Last week we saw that He is the heir of all things. He's the heir of all things. He, again, it's speaking to His place. The heir, that He, all things will belong to Him. Belong to Christ. And then we also saw not only is He the heir of all things, He is the creator of all things. So He is the heir. He is the creator. This morning, I want us to keep going and consider a few more things. The author of Hebrews says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. With the stroke of a pen... The author of Hebrews has written something very beautiful, very majestic about who Jesus is. It's very colorful. And I want you to think about what he has just written here. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The brilliance, you could describe it. Imagine a bright light. That's the picture of glory here. Now, here's the one thing I want you to recognize as we walk through Hebrews, and we're going to go through this, and it's going to take a little while, but everything that you see in Hebrews is going to have a background in Old Testament. The Old Testament is the basis of the book of Hebrews. And so we're going to study our Old Testament a little bit. But the imageries, the ideas are coming from this understanding. And when he speaks of glory, this is going to go back to the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God was the visible glory of God that God's people saw in the days of old. I want you to see in Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
I mean, that's the scene, right? That the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, this, this brilliance, this light, this shining light. Imagine the rays of a sun, right? It's, it's shining forth. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, listen, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's like the rays coming out of this sun. He is the brilliance of God's glory. He is the true picture of the glory of God. He is the glory of God. Think about that. So he's saying, listen, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, this Jesus whom you worship, he is the Shekinah glory of God, if you will. He is the brilliance of God. He is the radiance of God. God's glory is in Jesus Christ. Like there's something, he's saying, listen, there's something very special about Jesus. And so when you and I, we worship Jesus Christ, we have worshiping him as the glory of God expressed fully. But then he adds something to that. Not only is he the, the glory, the radiance and the glory of God, but he is the exact imprint of his nature. That phrase, the exact imprint, you may want to underline that. And it comes from a Greek word, character, which we get, get our word, or we kind of comes likely from that word character that we have. The character. He's saying, listen, he is the exact imprint. The idea in Greek is that it is the, again, it's like the engraved character or a seal. In the ancient days, you'd have a seal and you would stamp. Think about a stamp. Or more modern for us is a coin. It's the imprint. He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ, He is the exact imprint, the exact character of who God is. He is that visible representation for us to see the glory of God. He is God in the flesh. Saying, listen, he is the exact imprint of his nature, the essence of God, the nature of God. So he's saying, when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. His nature is the nature of God. Jesus is God. So this is a beautiful thing to say. He's saying, listen, he is the glory of God, and he is the exact nature of God he's using these ideas to illuminate the divinity of Jesus Christ now very early on in church history within the first several hundred years in three hundreds there was a, a man that came up he began to preach and teach and his name was Arius And Arius began to question who Jesus was. And Arius began to say things like, well, Jesus is a created being. Arius began to say things like, Jesus is not eternal with the Father. So Jesus wasn't the same as God. 
He was created. He's not God in the flesh like we might think. So Arius began to teach these ideas and began to question the divine status of Jesus Christ. Well, this was a big deal. And as this teaching began to take root and to go about, there was other people that were like, no, that's not the testimony of Scripture. And they called together a council of the bishops and all the people in that time period, the teachers. They called it the Council of Nicaea. And in this council, you had these people that came together. They, they wanted to understand, what does Scripture teach about who Jesus is? And this needed to be solidified. And there was another teacher that rose up, and his name was Athanasius. And in this council of Nicaea, there was, the, there was a sort of dueling ideas. You had these Two minds. One was Arius. One was Athanasius. Arius said, no, Jesus was created. And Athanasius said, no, Jesus is God in the flesh. Not created. He's un- not created. Eternal. And throughout this council, they, they began to debate that. But the big idea was, what does Scripture say? What is the testimony of Scripture? And it was in this council that all the people that gathered, they understood that Scripture pointed to the divinity of Jesus Christ. That Arius was wrong in his understanding of Scripture. That Arius did not, he was not correct in saying that Jesus was created. Jesus was uncreated. He is God and this was a big deal. And one of the things that the big argument was that Jesus was of the same substance as God, the same essence of God. He wasn't just like God or or pretended to be God. He was God in the flesh. So it was there at this council that they confirmed what Scripture said. Now, some people say, well, did that mean that they decided then and there that that's what it was going to? No, listen, they were affirming what had been taught through the years, and they were affirming the testimony of Scripture, but they were combating this wrong interpretation, this false teaching of Arius. The Bible tells us that false teachers would rise up, and he certainly did. But I want you to hear what we call the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is an ancient creed about what we believe. I'm going to read to you part of what it says about Jesus Christ. This is what we believe. In the one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light. True God from true God. Begotten, not made. Of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate with the, by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. 
He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. This is that ancient creed about who Jesus is. And I I want you to hear that, that he is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And listen, Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to say. But let me ask you, this man named Arius in his false teaching, you might say, well, that must have died with him. No. You see, this teaching still continues even today. Its most recent form would be through Mormonism. If you've ever wondered what the Mormon doctrine would be, it's not exactly, they wouldn't call themselves Arians exactly, but the Mormon doctrine would line up with Arian doctrine. And so one of the big differences, you may wonder, what is the difference? What do they teach? This would be part of it. That Jesus was a created being. Not God in the flesh. A denial of the Trinity. And so it still persists today. But Jesus is God. And from that point forward, this idea of orthodoxy was what does someone believe about Jesus? One of the ways that they would test to make sure that somebody was orthodox, had right beliefs, was what do they believe about Jesus? Do they believe that He is God in the flesh? But the other idea that we see in this passage, really, and also in the Council of Nicaea, is the belief in the Trinity of God. Now the Trinity is a deep subject, it's very deep, but it is essential to Christian doctrine. You can't deny it and still claim to be a follower of Jesus. The doctrine of the Trinity is this, that God is one. We believe in one God. We don't believe in multiple gods. We don't believe in many gods. We believe in one God. The testimony of Scripture. There is one God. But then as believers, we also see that in Scripture, we see God the Father. We see the Son, Jesus Christ. And then we also see the Holy Spirit. All said in Scripture to be God. What does that mean? That there are multiple gods? No. There's one God, but the the testimony, again, of Scripture, and then also this, this theological understanding, there's one God, and there are three persons in this one God. Not just three personalities, not just three ideas, but three persons. You might say, well, that's confusing, Pastor. Well, it is a mystery. But do you remember in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's speaking there about 
essence. Saying, listen, me and the Father, we are one essence. But Jesus also prays to the Father. He also speaks to the Father. You might say, wait, if they're one and Jesus is praying to the Father, does that mean that he's praying to himself? No. You see, that's the testimony of the Trinity. That within this, they are one essence, but they are unique persons. That within this idea of God, Jesus can still pray to the Father. Jesus can also speak about the Holy Spirit that's going to come. This is a beautiful, mysterious doctrine. But in it, we see the truth of Scripture. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. And the author Hebrews wants us to see that. But then he also goes on, he's going to say, listen, not only is he the exact imprint of his nature, not only is Jesus God in the flesh, but he upholds the world by the word of his power. Last week we saw that he's the creator, but here we see that he is the sustainer of the world. Not only did Jesus fashion and form and create and make, but Jesus also sustains the world. Meaning this, it's a picture of Jesus holding the world in his hands. You know that song? He's got the whole world in his hands. That's a, that little Christian preschool song is very profound. Because that's the testimony here and also in Colossians. It says, in Him all things hold together. The world and the universe is far more fragile than we think sometimes. And it's Jesus who is sustaining it and holding it. Binding it together. This is also telling us about the active presence of Christ in creation. He is actively, he didn't just make it and step away. He is actively, actively participating in the creation and the sustaining of the universe. The stars are in their place because of him. If Jesus ever took his hand off, everything would just ceased to exist. You and I, the all matter, all of it would just be gone. It exists because Jesus is holding on. Then we also see that Jesus is our Redeemer. It says in making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty high this idea here of making purification again this is idea that would be in the old testament it's going to speak of jesus being our high priest and this idea of jesus being a high priest is going to also point back to leviticus do you remember in the old testament that there was this day of atonement that the high priest, he, again, he would make sacrifice for the sins for himself and for the people. To be cleansed, to be purified. 
to be made new or right before God. And Jesus, that we're going to see all through Hebrews, that Jesus is our high priest. But here's the difference. The author of Hebrews is going to want you to know this big difference. The high priest had to keep doing this every year. Every year they'd come back and they'd have to do it again and again and again. Every year the high priest would have to make purification for sins. They'd have to kill more animals and they'd have to spill more blood and they'd have to sprinkle more blood on the, on the, in the ark, on the mercy seat. I mean, over and over and over. For years and years and years. They'd have to do this. Why? Because the people kept sinning. It kept happening in this purification. Again, it was temporary. But here, even the language, even the wording, is that Jesus has made purification once and for all. Jesus doesn't have to keep dying on the cross every year. He doesn't have to keep spilling His blood. You see, when Jesus gave His life on the cross for us, He did it once and for all. That our sins were paid for on the cross. It's complete. It's finished. And even there when it says He sat down at the right hand of God, He sat down because His work was finished. He could sit because it was done. Do you know what it's like in life? Maybe in your work. Doesn't it always feel like there's more work to do? You clean the house. And it feels like it's unclean right away sometimes, doesn't it? There's more work. I mean, I, I think about that in our house with our laundry. If you ever know what it's like to have eight people in a house, just think about laundry for a minute. You could do laundry this morning, and there is a stack of laundry this evening. I'm, I mean, I'm serious. It's never done. You don't ever get to sit down and say, ah, oh, the laundry's done. It's never done. And you and I, we have work in our life that is never completed. But yet Jesus, when He sacrificed, His work of redemption was done. Now, he was still, He's still sustaining. He's still doing things. But His work of redemption was complete on the cross. He has made purification for us. He is our Redeemer. He is God in the flesh who died. And that's the reason that it doesn't need to keep happening over and over. You see, the blood of bulls and goats cannot, cannot save us from our sin. But the blood of God can you see, that's why we must believe in the divinity of Jesus. Because if Jesus was just a man, if he was just a good man, then it would be no different than a lamb being slaughtered for us. It was God in the flesh whose blood sprinkled down that cross. He's our Redeemer. Then we also see that he is our Lord. 
he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. To sit down at the right hand of the Father speaks of the glory and the majesty and the kingship. The kingly authority of Jesus. Now I always like to think of that as His Lordship. You see the right hand would again speak to that authority. All authority, all authority in heaven and earth is found in Jesus Christ. He has all authority. He can do all things. Everything is subservient to Jesus. He is Lord. He is the Master. He is everything. With kids, I always used to like to use this phrase, He is the boss. There is no one like Jesus. And so, Jesus, you had this picture that He, again, He sits down, He completes His work of redemption, and He is there sitting down at the right hand, ruling and reigning. Imagine this same Jesus who hung on a cross. The greatest display of humility. Think about that for a minute. The one who created the world. The one who created the trees. Hung on one of the trees he made. The one who fashioned every molecule and everything. He suffered and died. But yet that same Jesus who hung on a cross sits in all authority. And that's the testimony of Scripture. Say, listen, He is the Lord. He is the ruler. There, there is none like Jesus. And that's that main point I want you to consider today. There is none, no one like Jesus. There is no one like Him. Are you following Him? Are you following Jesus? Are you living for Him? If there is no one like Him, then are you living for Him? Now as we consider this passage going further in verse 4, we're going to save that as we get to the next section that's going to speak of the angels. But as a preview, he says, listen, he's more superior, much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The author, again, right in the beginning of the book, he wants you to say, listen, Jesus is greater than anyone or anything. The angels, he's greater than the Moses, he's greater than. The high priest, he's greater than. Jesus is greater than anyone. So when you're tempted to fall away and to believe other things and do other things, the author's saying, don't do it. Because all these other things, they will pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. Now for us, it's also a reminder. You see, we're tempted so often to believe other things. 
when riches, when money, when possessions, sometimes they captivate us and we, we think about it and we, we work and we want this and we want that. It's almost like the author of Hebrews is going to say, listen, all these riches of, of the earth, they pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's relationships or it's people or, or maybe you and I, we need to feel loved and wanted and we have to have a place. It's nothing wrong with those things, but the author of Hebrews say, listen, even that pales in comparison to Jesus Christ. Some people want prestige or power. They want people to love them. They want possession. Some of us believe, well, you know, if I'm just a really good person and I, I do all the right things, I'm, I'm religious or I have a place of, of position in a church, all of that pales in comparison to Jesus. Everything, everything fades away in the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, I want you to consider what is the most wonderful thing on earth? What is the most treasured thing on earth? What is the thing that people want more than anything? Whatever it may be, it pales in comparison to Christ. Even some of the most glorious things that we see on earth, the beautiful sunset and the mountaintops or the ocean, pales in comparison to Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one. And so the idea then is, does your, if that's true, we always have to do this in our mind. Okay, if this is true, then what are the consequences of that truth? Let's think about it from a human standpoint. If gravity is true, and it is. What are the consequences of that? I'm not going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, right? Because gravity will take hold and I will fall. The consequence of that, it, it affects my behavior. Because if I believe that gravity is true, I'm not going to jump out of an airplane because I believe that it's going to do its work and I will fall. If Jesus is Lord, if there's no one like Jesus, if He is God in the flesh, then what is the consequence of that? What, what should that translate to in our life? And what that should translate to is you and I living our lives not for ourselves, but for Him. Because if Jesus is the king of all, then shouldn't we want to serve that king? And so that means that everything about us should be different. Our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, the way we treat people, the way we talk to people, the way we talk about people, the way that we serve in our community, our work, our family, everything is changed because of this truth. Everything is different because of Jesus. Like if Jesus is not Lord of all, if He's just some religious teacher, then I would say, just forget it. Live your life however you want to. 
Like if Jesus was just a good teacher that taught nice things, don't give your life for him now if that's all he is. There's a lot of nice teachers out there. So the thing that we have to come to grips with, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then our lives ought to be different. Are you living your life as if Jesus is Lord? Have you given Him your life? Your all? Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we think about the reality of Jesus being God in the flesh. Lord of all, and Lord, I just pray that, Lord, this would take hold in our hearts. That we would believe. But not only, Lord, would we believe with our minds, but with our very lives, that our lives would be transformed and different because of this great truth. But Father, we come this morning, and I'm going to come myself because there are things in our, my life, Lord, there are things in our lives that don't fall under the Lordship of Jesus, meaning that we are trying to do things our way, in our own strength, in our own power. Father, may we Lord, may we live differently. May we not be people that live as the world does, but Lord, may we lay down our lives and say, Jesus, take and use our life for your glory and your purposes. Father, let us live for him. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would make that Lord, that we'd make that commitment. Show us areas in our life that we aren't living for Christ. Show us things that we are doing or have done that don't honor Him. And give us the boldness and the conviction to lay those things down. Let us live for Jesus. Help us, Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.